Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. We're so excited to jump into today's episode, but before we do, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah. I've got a special guest with me today, Doug McRae of the Big Douglas Show. How's it going today, Doug? It's going good, man. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to join. So today's episode is going to be about the Daniel Snyder era of the Washington football team, Washington Commanders, Washington Redskins, whatever you want to call them. So let's start off with some of the uh, some of your background when it comes to this team. So how long have you been a fan of this team and why did you become a fan of this team? Well, I'll age myself here. I guess I've been a fan since the early 90s. Uh, my dad was uh, in the military, so we moved a bunch. I actually grew up on basketball more than football. Um, but that, that Doug Williams Super Bowl against the Broncos really was like the first time, I guess, where I was allowed to stay up and watch the whole thing. And so I, I, it's just always resonated. And then, and then my dad ended up retiring, and, and we our last stop of duty there was in just outside of D.C. So it just was like a natural thing where me and my brother started following the team and, and really it was something that we bonded over, which is why I think it stuck so long. So you mentioned the Doug Williams team, the Super Bowl team. That's when they, they beat the Broncos, of course. So did you have a favorite player from that era or favorite players from that era? Cause that was a pretty legendary time for the team. It was, it feels like, um, you know, the, the quarterbacks always get the love. I don't think they got the same kind of love back then than they do now, you know. Uh, for for those Redskins teams, it was more about the Hogs, really. And um, and Joe Gibbs, of course, with the coach, because each of those Super Bowls with different quarterbacks. Uh, so we didn't – in Washington, we didn't lean on the quarterbacks as much as we did that offensive line and Coach Gibbs and maybe some of the receivers. Yeah, it's not often that uh, an offensive line group gets as cool of a nickname as this or any nickname at all. Yeah. Uh, so that that's, that's awesome as a – former uh, very mediocre high school offensive lineman. It was cool that these guys got that kind of recognition. So this, uh, I think I'll say the glory days of, of the Washington team was during the, the Jack Kent Cook era. And that was for span about 30 years, right? Until he passed away. Dan Snyder buys the team in the late nineties. Am I right? And that's right. So w- what did you think of, of Dan Snyder as he was, looking to buy the team did you have any opinion of him did you know of him when he was looking to buy the team no not really and of course you know like like i said i'd have been a you know late teens i guess so it was but it was exciting at the time i mean a young guy who grew up rooting for the team becomes wealthy from a from a business adventure and buys his favorite hometown football team like in the moment you couldn't have scripted anything better i mean he was not he was not arrogant in the moment but i think young and brash and so you kind of had this like you know they were coming off of really good years with the super bowls and so i think it was like man if this guy just keeps his foot on the gas what more can we get here and it was exciting for sure so what would you say like your realistic hopes were did you think that he was going to lead the team back to the promised land I mean, I thought for sure that we'd stay relevant. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think in the moment that we thought that we were going to go to the Super Bowl every four years. But I think 
we thought at least he would keep it going. You know, just just success. I mean, if you're only you know monitoring success by Super Bowls, that's a tough barometer. Yeah. But I think we thought we'd be winners every year and at least going to the playoffs and and not eventually become a laughingstock of the league. Certainly. <laughs> I mean, so for the for the most part, I think when I think of this team during this era, it's been pretty relevant, right? It's somewhat competitive. There's been, of course, some down years, some lean years. I mean, would you say that for the most part, you guys have been in the mix? I think you have two or three division titles during his his reign, a couple playoff wins. What, what do you think? How, how would you grade this era yeah. out of ten? He gets he gets an F, uh, okay. most certainly. <laughs> Uh, you meant there were, uh, I think, one, two division championships and one, no playoff win since he's been here. Oh, wow. 20 years. Uh, no, I and they've had winning records like five, six times since he took ownership of the team. So, no, I w- it was a terrible, terrible uh, <laughs> job by him as ownership. But one day they will teach business classes mm-hmm. on how to take such an easy business and just destroy it in, in ways that you couldn't even imagine that you could destroy a team. Mm-hmm. And he's tried it every which way. None of it worked. So, yeah, it, it was yeah, a I'm trying to gauge the temperature here on, on what you thought of him, but we, we can deep dive and <laughs> be a little more critical. So I, I want to say that the era, the Snyder era has been marked by a lot of like a high turnover rate at, at coaching and at head coach. I think the longest tenured head coach was Mike Shanahan for about five years. I think Gruden had five and some change. Do you think I that think was, was a product of Gruden, but close. Okay. Uh, so, I think Gruden got the only extension of the group. Uh, but yeah, like I said, he, he tried it every which way. I mean, to me, his biggest mistake was firing Schottenheimer. That team got off slow, but they ended up winning a lot of football games at, at the back end. Um, he wanted something different. They went Spurrier. That didn't work out. Uh, after Spurrier, they had their eyes. Uh, at that point, I think it was the special teams coordinator for the Giants, that fell through so that they ended up hiring Jim Zorn, who had never been more than a wide receivers coach in the league. As you can imagine, debacle. Um, and, and then Shanahan, which didn't go well because of the RG3 situation and what happened there. Gruden was okay. Gruden was, was I think, their best chance of winning. Gruden's funny that those offenses were – magnificent offenses that move the ball all yeah. over the place, but the defenses were terrible. And I, and, and it's just my opinion, but I, I think that his unwillingness to hire a defensive coordinator that could have taken his job, kept him from hiring a defensive coordinator that could have matched what happened is they were top five, top 10 in offense. They'd be bottom 25, 30 in defense. They had a chance to get Wade Phillips one year. I remember and he, I think he was worried that one of those senior defensive coordinators, while be it good for their record, I think he was worried he'd lose his job to them. So it was little things like that where you felt like things were getting like, – like every time things would start moving in the right direction, something would happen. It would come to a crashing halt. Yeah, I, I can totally sympathize. You can see from the hat I'm wearing, I'm, I'm a Raiders fan. And I think the, the parallels between the two teams since the, the turn of the century are – 
are pretty you know similar with a lot of the coaching turnover, quarterback turnover, ownership issues. You know, hopefully we both had our own Gruden's to worry with. What was that? We both had our own Gruden's to worry with. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, our Gruden kind of left in a little more uh, embarrassing or humiliating fashion, but. Yeah, similar end where there was a couple peaks and there were some times where we probably both thought we were going to turn the corner, but things didn't go quite so well. So, I mean, of the the, the coaches and the, the quarterbacks that you, mentioned, you just mentioned, RG3, but of those guys, who did you think you had the best chance of success with or success, success with, the coaching or the sure. quarterback? Well, when, you know, when Zorn left and they hired Shanahan, after Zorn, you know, Apathy was starting to set in with the fan base. And, you know, apathy is so much worse than hatred because if you hate something, at least you care about it a little bit. When you're apathetic to something and you just don't care, like that's, you talk about the death knell for, for an organization or a business or, or a relation to anything. When apathy sets in, that's it, right? And that, you could tell that had crept in. In comes a two time winning Super Bowl champ in, in a coach in Mike Shanahan, and you're thinking, yeah, this is, this is it. This is fantastic. Well, I don't know what it was with Mike, but, you know, I, I think they always the, – the, and, again, this comes back to the ownership stuff, right? I don't think that Mike wanted to bring in an aging Donovan McNabb, even though he said yes because the owner wanted that. And they, they had Campbell still on staff. I think people thought maybe Campbell in the right system could have been a good quarterback. They moved on from him for McNabb. McNabb was a total bust. You know, the next year they they played Rex Grossman and John Beck. In fact, the famous quote from Shanahan is, now I'll stake my reputation on John Beck. Okay. And he did. Didn't last long. And that that proved out to be right. And so it's just odd because people were very excited. And then, you know, they trade for RG3. Shanahan, I don't think, was – I know Shanahan, it was not his idea. I know from talking to people in the organization that he wasn't upset about it. But instead, you know, RG3 is a three-year project and we'll have to do all of this college stuff for the first two years. It's a big, long story. We could do a whole other segment and episode on what happened sure. with Robert. But, you know, his dad got unprecedented power because of um, the owner. And it just didn't – it just didn't meld right. So outside of that 2012, and then you had the injury, of course. So that didn't work well. Then – after Shanahan goes and, you know, we, you can look at the coaching tree and know what that should have been in Washington, but it didn't work. Jay Gruden was the yeah. hottest offensive coordinator in the NFL that year with, with the Bengals, you know. So, it like, felt like – that's the funny thing with Shanahan, right, He or with um, Snyder. He's tried it every which possible way. Vet coach, you know, he brought Gibbs back. Vet coach, mm-hmm. brand-new hot coordinator. It's – the problem was him in the front office, you know, you, you, we were talking about each of us having a team that had a Jay Gruden or a Gruden. Your John Gruden got run out of town basically because Snyder and Bruce Allen let, leaked out the emails. So, I mean, it's just like that's a, a nice ironic about twist one there. franchise bleeding into another one. It, it's just it's been that kind of comedy of errors here for 20 years. Yeah, there, there's a couple of things you mentioned that I want to touch on. We, we also got the Jason Campbell experience. I thought he was you know, a, a solid winning quarterback in the, yeah, in the right situation. Of course, you know, his career ends with Washington prematurely and then with Oakland as well, because he breaks his collarbone and he has to, uh, the Raiders bring in Carson Palmer and then he kind of becomes a journeyman after that. 
Uh, and then you talked about RG3 with the, the Mike Shanahan era. One thing you didn't mention was I think they drafted Kirk Cousins the same year they drafted uh, Robert Griffin. I, yeah. So Chris. what did you think of that decision? Was that a, you know, kind of them hedging saying, okay, well, you know, Shanahan, maybe you didn't want RG3. You didn't want to give up all this for a more project type quarterback, even though he played well his rookie year. Was that a concession to Mike Shanahan? And do you think that was some of the organizational dysfunction shining through and drafting two quarterbacks pretty high? Yeah, I mean, Cousins in the fourth, I think, was a little bit of a surprise. And I, and I, I think it probably was a bit of a concession to your point. Uh, but they had nobody. They really didn't have anything. The quarterback room was bare. And, and I, think Shanahan, I think Shanahan was one of those guys that felt like, listen, I'll draft if everything goes right right with Robert and he becomes a franchise-type quarterback, and I have Cousins, who probably just needs a little bit of polishing on the sideline and we can get him up to speed in a more traditional offense, then if things go – two things. If things go miserably wrong with Robert, then you have Cousins who fits the bill a little bit better. Two, and this is what Belichick did for a couple of years, right, was – I'll draft that guy, we'll work on him, we'll do the hard work, and then I'll ship him off for another third-round pick in two years. You know, it's like it's, it's saving assets. And I really think that was more of what Kirk Cousins was, was investment in future assets rather than this notion that we'll get this guy just in case Robert stinks. I don't think – I didn't think it was more the other than it was their, their – they're thinking that Robert wouldn't make it because one winners don't think that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I think that more than anything is you don't go into a project thing and it's going to fail. So I think that was the thinking behind that. That makes sense. I mean, it's also like a low cost backup quarterback option. Cause you get a guy in the fourth round, he costs pennies compared sure. to maybe a, a veteran quarterback. And just like you said, with Belichick, you know, they develop a guy from the fourth, fifth, sixth round, like Jimmy G or Ryan Mallett. And they, Shift them off, mm-hmm. ship them off for a decent draft pick, and they able Chicago to do that. Is, uh, on the Commanders now. Yeah, there you go, there you go. So during that RG three, the rookie year, where it seemed like he might have some franchise quarterback potential, and then of course the injury happens, I believe, at the end of the season, and then it compounds in the playoffs. What did you think of that decision to play him on his injured knee? And how do you think that affected the team for the you know next few years after that? Well, this the, again, when the thirty for thirty comes out with Shanahan and Robert, I think it will be fascinating to watch because I'm not sure people outside of the fan base really kind of understand what was going on there. So you get, that season, you've got to go back like a month before the season ends when Robert gets hit by, uh, I think it was Halotinata at that point with the Ravens. It was one of those humongous guys, and the, and the leg goes all, you know, looks yeah, – it just looks terrible. And here's, you know, here's what happens. They tell him nothing structurally has happened, but he needs to sit and, and wait. Well, the next game against the Browns, Kirk Cousins comes out and I think goes for like 300-yard, three touchdowns and interceptions, something like that. And it was like – Kind of my eye opening, you know, and I think Robert saw it and was like, "Oh man, I, I got to get ready now." And so I think he was pushing to get back on as much as Shanahan was trying to get him back out there. And that's, I think, all of us that watch sports in general, much less football, realize 
there's a couple of distinctions that you have to make. One, you know, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. There's a difference between a, a player rushing back to get on the field. You know, that's kind of a coach's job is to manage. Are you telling me the truth right now about your injury? Because the doc can only say, you know, all the doc can do is tell you whether it's still intact or not. And at that point, it was intact. Now, you fast forward to that playoff game against Seattle, and Robert was fantastic in the first quarter. In fact, I remember thinking we were, we were boat racing them at halftime. And I was stunned that they brought Robert back after the half. I, I thought they had that that win locked up, and and that, that would have been that. Well, they didn't. Robert's knee gets messed up worse. The, you know, part of that is the field was in terrible condition. I think that's been, you know, well documented, the painted grass and whatnot. But the problem is after that, the st- as the story goes, and it's been confirmed by other players, so I feel confident in saying I believe the story uh, to be true. Robert and his dad walk in to Shanahan's office with Kyle and a couple other guys and they go up to the whiteboard and they start writing plays that like, we're not doing this anymore. None of this works. He thought he was Aaron Rodgers already and was ready to run that Shanahan West coast offense and didn't want to run any of the Baylor stuff that Kyle had gone down there and met with browse. They had, you know, he studied that offense for Robert. Robert said he wasn't going to do it anymore. The other problem is, is that Adidas comes out a month before the season, that the next season starts, and they do the all-in for Week One campaign. Oh wow! And it really, and it really put Robert in a tough spot where he shouldn't have started that game. He he needed another month, I bet. But between him and his dad thinking that he really was Superman, and this and this Adidas campaign, and probably Kirk Cousins waiting in the background. It just was doomed from the beginning, and, and it's sad because it didn't have to be. Yeah, I mean, this is incredible insight that, again, like you said, only people in the fan base, someone like you, would would know because at, from the outside looking in, it looked like, okay, he got hurt at the end of the season. He looked okay. I think the last game of the season, you guys beat the Cowboys in the win-and-you're-in uh, scenario, a, which which was a years. yeah pretty colossal collapse from the Cowboys, I think, were running away with it at some point. And then there's that image that I'll never forget in my mind of RG3 with this gigantic leg brace on on this awful torn up field, like you said, that painted grass. I know the grass doesn't do well in, in the Northeast in the wintertime. And he's diving for a loose ball and his leg just you know goes in a direction that it's not supposed to go. And it felt like after that, his career was just never the same. And it's it's amazing insight that you provide where it's like it wasn't really that simple there was a lot more kind of backroom politics where like you said Kirk Cousins is waiting in the wings to take over the job so there's probably additional pressure RG3 is facing even more pressure because he's uh you know the top foot was it was he number two pick that year I believe we tra- so they thinking, traded three picks to get up there to number two to take them yes that was the Andrew Luck pressure goes one Robert goes two yep mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to me, I think, you know, if there is a more competent owner, someone that has a little more foresight, they're able to step in and kind of put a kibosh on the situation and say, you know what, you're going to sit until you're fully healthy and we're not going to let this young kid call the shots. I mean, am I way off base with that assessment? No, that's it. Him, He and the and the owner were, were buddies. 
Mm. And 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 just as much as it was RG three and the owner, it was RG two, mm. because the dad was in the locker room all the time. I mean, after it's games. never a good thing <laughs> when these, never these sports parents get too involved. <laughs> it never happens at the pro level, ever. And and that's what it was. I mean, the, the owner would frequently get enamored with the players, and and you know, give them stuff and and give them access that generally doesn't happen unless you're Tom Brady or something like that. And it just happened really fast. It was a mistake. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't just the bad things that happened here, because if it was, then, you know, Robert would have caught on somewhere else and he just didn't. Yeah. I think once his, his knee was, you know, he blew out his knee or had that injury. I think after that, he just wasn't the same player. And we saw that he had a, you know, a journeyman career after that. He had some bright moments, I think with Cleveland and, uh, and quickly, not to cut you off, yeah. but just no. just so we're not like steady bashing Robert, because that's <laughs> I don't want to do that either. The, the other thing with Robert that people I don't think get is he wasn't a Lamar Jackson type runner. He, he was an Olympic sprinter. Like if you think about that play where against the Vikings, where he's just like chucking, truck, trucking it down the, the side. Like that's what he does. He gets from zero to sixty real fast. But as you can see, the knees weren't built for change of direction. Like that, just like he exploded his own knees on some of those plays trying to get left and right and so I, I think that's the other thing is like people look at Robert and think Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson two completely different types of speed and, and running yeah he, he reminded me a little bit of like the uh, Colin Kaepernick that big tall long strider long strider that's not sure. you know not going to shake you in the, in the box but he'll once he hits the corner he might beat you to the corner and you know, run 60 yards downfield. So I, I get what you're saying. And yeah, I, I mean, it's unfortunate because obviously he's a, a very competitive dude. And, and some of the thinking behind what he was doing was trying to prove that he belonged and all that. So yeah, again, like you said, we don't want to just bash him the whole time. So, you know, when do you think at so what point in the Dan Snyder era did public opinion start turning on him? Cause there's been a number of, of high profile things. There's like the medical issues with Alex Smith's leg, Trent Williams with the the growth on his head, some of the workplace like impropriety, sexual harassment stuff. When did public opinion locally start to shift on Dan Snyder? Well, I think it hit. I mean, the losing creates animosity, right? So I think there had been uh, maybe ten years in, like maybe after some of the uh, Haynes Albert Hainsworth stuff, where it was like things just. You know, if you can't get it working with a Shanahan type coach, it makes you feel like when can you get it working? So I think some of it. Crept so when in you there, were talking but, about Albert Hainsworth, sorry, was that was that giving him that massive contract? Right, and then it, and then it just totally falling apart. You know, sure. within within you, it, that thing fell apart quickly. Turns out, Fat Albert's just not a very nice man, and so that, <laughs> I mean that, that was as much as anything else. Uh, however, I, I, so I think that was part of it. I think. Mean, you know, when Gibbs 2.0 fell apart, people started wondering if you can't get it done with Gibbs, when, how do you get it done? And then I, I think the biggest one though, was with the, uh, with the cheerleader scandal and they, and, you know, and, and the, the voice of the Redskins at the time, uh, Michaels was removed and kind of Bruce Allen finally got his walking papers and, they, they got through with the, you know, McLuhan was there and then they went through the, was he a drinker or not a drinker? I mean, literally the last 20 years with, with Washington, if, if you could just like 
close your eyes and throw a dart at a scandal board. You know what I mean? Like that, that's that's how it felt. And, and I think that was it. Like with that cheerleader scandal came out and, and it was starting to be like, well, it's not just a crappy product on the field. It's like this guy really is into some shady type stuff behind the scenes and up in the, and you know, it was like everybody had to call him. Like things just started to come out. The post had kind of put out stories over the years. It was like, okay, right, whatever. But then once you started getting some of the, you know, like you had to call him Mr. Snyder and he was telling, you know, ladies that maybe it's their fault that they're dressing too skimpily, you know, at the office or whatever, whatever it was, it was just like, once that stuff started coming out, where it's like, man, this guy's kind of just, a creepo that I think things really started. There, there was a bigger uproar about, man, I, I hope we can get something changed. Yeah. It goes from maybe you chalk it up to like incompetence, like, Oh, maybe he's just not very good at his job. And then it becomes, like you said, it's the, it, it goes from just an odd bad off the field, on the field product to some real concerns off the field with his behavior and his attitude. And of course, all the things that, that he let happen under his watch. I mean, and then the, the medical stuff, was that also organizational or do you think that was just kind of a, a freak accident? Would, I mean, I know it happened twice with Alex Smith and Trent Williams, but was that him being too cheap on the medical side of things and, and making bad decisions or was it just, you know, coincidence? Well, he was definitely cheap. I know that. And I've been told by players that they didn't even really revamp the medical facilities and the training facilities until Robert got hurt. Like I remember Clinton Porter saying that it was not until Robert got hurt. Like when he was there, they had they were sharing one cold tub. And so I, I think there's some of that stuff that he just was cheap about that probably didn't help. The stuff with Trent... The stuff with both of them is odd. Like, Trent should have been given everything in the world so that he was a redskin for life. If you listen to them, they really thought that they were there. Like, like Dan was flying him in the private jet to his medical appointments. And supposedly Dan did go see him. Trent said nobody went to go see him. And so, like... I, I they're tricky, right? Because I don't want to tell Trent what happened with his cancer scare. Yeah, of course. If, if you've got cancer on your forehead and the doc says this isn't good, I'm sure you're freaking out. Like I've had a couple mm-hmm. of medical scares myself, so I, I totally get yeah, it. Sure. I don't th- of, of all the many things, I don't think those two things were on Dan. Yeah. Okay. That that's fair. Maybe just like with Alex, that was a freak thing, right? Like that, the, the leg just got snapped so terribly like those infections didn't happen you know at at like redskins park or anything like that was Mm -hmm. it the major medical facility in town where i I think that was on them and then they had to go in and clean it out so i i don't know that that, the lot you know it's hard to get a lot of the information on the medical stuff dan um wears a lot of the weight of this organization i'm not sure those two things are on him Sure, sure. Yeah, I think maybe just it's easy to pile on at that point because there's so many other things that that you can blame him for. Like you said, he wears, wears the weight of it. Uh, how did you feel that he handled the uh, name controversy and the the fact that people were pushing for the change from Redskins to something a little more generic and then now to the Commanders? Do you think that was also something he did wrong? Do you think he handled that well? What do you, What do you think? 
I actually think he handled that one fairly well. Again, that's that's his favorite team. He's on record saying he was never going to change the name. But once people hated him and businesses, you know, when when FedEx and Pepsi and Coke and, and your major sponsors say they're going to pull naming rates and they're not going to that, – that's a lot of money. And so it was not – people often confuse Dan – with a guy who didn't love the team. Like people will say, you know, ah, he made it the commanders on his way out as a big, you know, middle finger to the organization. And it's not that. I've talked to people inside the building and like Dan still loves the organization and the team the same way the day he bought it. He just wasn't good at it. You know, that to I mean that was his problem. He just stunk at his job. Um, I mean, imagine imagine how terrible it must feel to buy your favorite football team. Imagine buying the Raiders and then get booed because you've done such a terrible job. Like it, it, how horrible of a feeling is that? And essentially that's what happened with Dan is that he was so bad at loving his favorite football team that they ran him out. But back mm-hmm. so that's what I'm saying. Like the Redskins, that, that was not his choice by any means. He did not want to do that. He just had no choice. And we can argue all day and they still do in the fan base about whether Redskins is offensive, whether Native Americans actually care about it. How many, how many Native Americans have to be put off by the name Redskins to change it? Is it one? Is it a thousand? Mm -hmm. Is it 50%? Like that's, trust me, they've done all the research on it. I preferred football team. They could have stuck with Washington football team. Quite frankly, the commanders, it's just as fine. It's just as yeah. bad. I, you know, I, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if they start winning football games. People will be fine with commanders. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, as an outsider, I liked Washington football team more. Maybe it's the, the soccer fan in me. I thought it was cool, unique. Commanders is yeah. it's okay. It feels a little generic, but Washington football team that's that's cool. That's unique. So, and again, th- this is great insight because, again, as an outsider, I'm looking at it as. This guy doesn't care because I'm going through that situation now as an Oakland A's fan where we have an owner where you can just tell he just doesn't care about the product on or off yep. the field. So he's not invested his time, his money. And it seems like with with Dan, they they care. He cared, which, again, I didn't know. I thought it was just, you know, incompetence. Uh, you know, he's cheap. He's cutting corners. doesn't want to build a new stadium. But this, they're also investing in, in some key players. And I think throughout his era – you guys have had some pretty legendary players that have come through the building. And of course, some have, have left in tragic fashion with, you know, Sean Taylor. So during this time, I mean, what do you think was the the biggest factor in his, his failure to succeed? Because obviously he cared and he spent money. I know they spent a lot of money on free agents and things like that. Why couldn't he get this team over the hump and be a regular, you know, successful contender? Yeah, and I, that's why I said I, I think it will make for a great, you know, business school. You know, one of the great Carnegie Mellon type institutions where they focus in business because it seemingly is impossible. You know, the NFL is built for parity. I mean, I, I didn't just make that up. Like everybody knows that they they'll tell you right. Like that's supposed to be the whole point is that you're supposed to be down. Even if you're down for a couple of years, you should be able to get back to at least average fairly soon. And I think it, I, I, the only thing that you can come up with is that, as the old adage gets, you, you get what you give out. 
and and I just if you don't believe in karma, then look at the commanders and and Dan Snyder because I I don't think what else could it be because he tried it every single way. Pay for big free agents. Don't pay for big free agents. Trade up in the draft. Stay where you're at. Hire a, a you know a Super Bowl winning head coach. Hire the fresh offensive coordinator. Do it with a GM. Do it. I mean, literally every way that you can imagine, he's tried it and it didn't work. And that to me just means it's him. It's got to be him. Yeah, and I think. Another adage in sports is that you can't outrun bad ownership. You can have, you know, a small yeah. period of success here and there. We look at some, you know, across the different organizations. As a Raiders fan, I see it. You know, the Warriors before this current ownership group, same thing. The Suns, they had this brief period. They had one of the worst owners in sports and Robert Sarver. And it's it's just unfortunate that with some guys, you're just not going to see success or at least sustained success. Because like you said, in the NFL, it's built for parity. You're going to have top draft picks. And you are you might fall here and there like ass backwards into an all-pro player. And you'll have some success. But unless you have great ownership and stable ownership and someone with like a clear vision that knows how to implement it, you're just not going to be, be able to, to find that sustained success. So I think we've talked enough about the past. Let's talk about the future. And, you know, speaking of a sustained vision and sustained success, you guys – I have a new ownership group led by Josh Harris, who currently owns the New Jersey Devils, who are a playoff team, the 76ers, who are you know perennial playoff team now after the process. So what are your some of your expectations and feelings? Are you a little, you know, are you holding off on your expectations? Are you trying to maintain them because of your the past? Like you've been hurt before, so you don't want to get too excited. Yeah. We have been beaten down as a Washington fan base. So, yeah, I think it's 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 in our nature now to be a little uh, skittish and and show me and then I'll believe you type scenario. But I mean, he's never run an NFL organization, so I mean, it, it's hard to know or expect anything. But he's got experience, as you said, owning franchises like major sports franchises and and what he's done with the I I don't know enough about the hockey side I don't know what he's done with the Devils to really speak on that but with the 76ers I mean they totally redesigned the way the system worked there and and it's been successful and he's and he's proven that he'll do what it takes to to continue moving they did that this year by firing Doc Rivers, right? After after being to the playoffs, I think all the years Doc was there. So um, I like that as far as, you know, like average is not good enough. We've been average in Washington for a while. You know, Ron Rivera, God bless him, and all the stuff he's had to go through since he's been here. But they've been – I mean, they fought their butts off to be average. And, and that's – in the end of the – that's not what we're looking for, right? So, I mean, I'm excited. I, I'm holding off judgment. There's a, there's a lot of things he can do quickly to, you know, uh, we said earlier, just kind of spruce up the facilities and, and make it nicer for the players to be there. They, they haven't had that kind of overhaul. Looks like they're going to spend a bunch of money on the stadium trying to upgrade the sound and some of the, the, the boards and stuff. So, I mean, he can come in and do some of that stuff right away and make the experience a little bit better for, for everybody, fans and players. Yeah, he's definitely not scared to make to changes uh, that, that need to be made, and he's not going to be gun-shy about it. Are you worried about a possible you know process-type situation where you know he might 
take the long vision and tank for a couple of years to, to rebuild the team? What do you think their approach is going to be in the next few years? It'll be interesting. I think the, the current analytic staff for Washington is like six people. Like, I mean, it's ridiculously tiny. We, we know that Josh Harris will change that because he's proven to be an analytics guy. I don't know why you'd be like that. That's a philosophical thing, right? You don't do it just because it's been proven to work. It's, it's how your brain works and understands how things are successful. So I doubt he'd do one thing in basketball and not that in football. I say this all the time on the on my podcast, like be careful what you ask for, right? Because the team's been eight, eight and one kind of team for a while now. And just right on the door of the playoffs, we actually haven't done like a three win team in four or five years. And and even before that, it, they, we weren't doing a ton of like three win teams. So it's easy to say, let's start over. And then you start over and it's like, uh, this this is awful. So, you know, I, I, do they need? I don't think they need it. Quite frankly, it'll be curious to see how Howell does this year. If Howell stinks and the team's no good, then they've got a real shot at getting one of these quarterbacks in the draft. But just from a pure roster standpoint, Ron probably doesn't get enough credit for how good the roster is now compared to when he got here. The problem is he's tried every every way that he can. Like, like we talked about, all the way Dan's tried to win. Ron's tried all those ways to get a quarterback, and he just hadn't been able to get it done. And that's that's been his problem. And it's the problem for any coach in the, in the league that doesn't have a top 15, 10-ish type quarterback. So It's the same thing. You can't outrun bad ownership for long. You can have a, a good season here or there. Same thing with quarterback play. You can kind of – patch together a competitive team like you guys have done in the past few years with some journeyman quarterbacks some veteran quarterbacks you're just kind of gambling and trying new things just putting someone in someone new back there and and seeing what happens so I think I mean from a from like you said from a roster perspective I think you guys have the makings of a competitive team with obviously just missing that that key piece at quarterback and I mean Howell looked good at the end of last season that was a very small sample size against the Cowboys team I think that didn't need to win at that point uh, but they had all there's some just, just, for, just for context, they did have all mm-hmm. – you're right about the Cowboys, but oddly enough, they played the starters the whole game that day. Yeah, I think they had like an outside chance if the Eagles lost to the Giants, but it wasn't like a, a yeah. very a – real. it wasn't a very realistic scenario. But still, I mean, I liked what I saw from him. I, obviously, the team does because uh, you guys didn't make a move for uh, a quarterback in the draft. So I think you guys are in a great position because, like you said, if, if he doesn't work out – then you're in position to draft Caleb Williams, Drake May, or one of these other kids that are coming up, and then you can build for the future. And of course, if he works out, then you have a defense, you have a uh, you know roster continuity, you have head coach continuity, coordinator continuity, which I think is obviously a, a very big uh, factor in the success of the team. So, I mean, any any final thoughts on the Dan Snyder era? Any parting shots you want to take? I know you have your uh, show that comes on every a few, a few times a week, but anything else you want to share with our listeners? about the, the last 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I think in the end, I'll feel, it's funny, I, we were talking about this the other day. I, when we found out that there was a chance, you know, never there's never a chance that an owner is going to sell, right? Because literally, you've got to do what Dan did. You have to, like, be drugged before congressional hearings and stuff before they'll actually kick you out. And I really think that, you know, they went to the game one time, him and his wife, 
Tanya and they, and they booed Tanya when she got up or when they put her picture up on the big screen. And and I really think that those were some of the moments where it was like, this is not, the juice is not worth the squeeze, as they say, and this is no longer fun. It should be fun to own your favorite football team. So while I will always be mad at Dan for ruining my favorite football team for 20 years of my life, I also feel bad for Dan in some ways that he got what almost all of us dream of. I mean, again, imagine tomorrow them saying, here, Kyle, there's the, the Raiders. You own them. Have fun. And it, and it becoming so bad that you get booed and don't want the team anymore. So I, I have a love-hate relationship with Dan. He turned out to be a terrible, horrible, slimy person. And yet there's a piece of me that is empathetic about how terrible the whole thing must have been for him. So hasta la vista, yes. Dan, as they say, <laughs> you know, have fun in England or wherever he takes his mega yacht to and lives the rest <laughs> of his life with his four and a half billion dollars. I mean, nobody's feeling bad for Dan, right? He bought. Yeah. He I was going to say that less uh, than a billion. He made <laughs> that price made, tag, that windfall. By the time he's done with everything, he put, he probably put $2 billion in his pocket after taxes and paying off the loan to end and everything. So I'm excited for the future, man. That that's, that's where I'm at now. Things are changing. The, the, the team has a chance to be good. We'll see, you know, they'll have big decisions to make once, ownerships finalized with the upper management and coaching staff and and all those things but you know I, I think whether Ron's here that's again that's like a different show but he will have mm -hmm. definitely left it better than he found it and that's not we, we will not be saying the same for Dan yeah absolutely and I think like I said you guys are in a great position you're in a there's it's a fresh start you don't have that albatross of the reputation of Dan Snyder that Dan Snyder name around your neck there's going to be i think a lightness in the air maybe if you if you go to a game week one or wherever whenever the home opener is i think it's going to be a different vibe around the stadium and a hopefulness for the future and there's so many things that are in your favor the media market the location the prestige of the franchise which i think will be restored in time and uh, you know again as a raiders fan i can definitely sympathize with everything you've gone through and you know there's hope for the future and in your case you don't even have to move uh, in order to for have sure. this fresh start. <laughs> so thanks again for your time today, Doug. I really appreciate it. We'll definitely make sure to have you on. Maybe at the end of the season, we can do a season recap and see how things yeah. have gone in the first year of the Josh Harris era. That'd be great. Thank you.